0: are real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs
1: hello this is richard jacobs a serial entrepreneur who's had 20 years experience building companies And after the same 20 years of bad sleep, I started interviewing hundreds of sleep experts and health experts to find out what it really takes to get a good night's sleep. And I share those tips and strategies on the show because uh, consistently getting a good night's sleep and keeping your health in the right shape can radically improve your health, happiness, and productivity. So before we begin, uh, this podcast is sponsored by the Good Night Sleep Project. They offer the world's first patented custom tailored pillow designed to finally put an end to restless nights and bad sleep. So if you're struggling to get the sleep you need and deserve, uh, meet your new best friend. The custom tailored pillow is created to of your body's unique measurements using machine vision. So simply uh, take your picture using your smartphone and it can be ordered for you. Visit goodnightsleepproject.com for more info. So today's guest on the podcast uh, is Dr. Ty Carzoli. Uh, his clinic is called the Denver Upper Cervical Center. Uh, he's passionate about providing advanced chiropractic care. Uh, these are patients and people that want to eliminate their pain and optimize their wellness and live a better life. So um, they see all members of a family, from babies to children to parents and grandparents. And they emphasize a gentle and a research based approach to healthcare with a particular emphasis on chiropractic or spinology. So, Ty, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
2: Thanks for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it. I'm doing very well. Oh, good. So I've heard
1: a little bit about uh, upper cervical versus uh, traditional chiropractic, but what, first tell people a little bit about chiropractic in general, and then let's talk about uh, what's the differences in your clinic.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to kind of paint with broad strokes, chiropractic really functions to uh, strengthen the host, really improve... The health of the system uh, through what we call like a salutogenic approach. So rather than focusing on what's going wrong with the body, uh, focus more on normal physiology and restoring that to the body so that it can function optimally uh, without things interfering with that normal physiology. Now, upper cervical speci- specifically, we focus uh, largely around C1, uh, atlas, the first cervical vertebra, uh, occiput, and C2 or axis. So. Um, that upper cervical complex, those three bones, uh, and their relationship to each other and their proximity to the brainstem are why it's a particularly relevant area. Yeah. I've I've had, you know, many
1: adjustments. Um, so typically they'll, you know, they'll adjust the mid back, lower back, and then neck. Um, but upper cervical, do you focus mainly on uh, neck adjustments or do you adjust the whole back or what's your philosophy
2: there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do analyze and treat the entire spine. Um, a lot of upper cervical doctors sometimes will only focus on the upper cervical spine, but uh, we get a pretty wide spectrum of conditions that come to our office. Typically, a lot of the the, sim- the same stuff that might go to a traditional chiropractor, but the people that seek out upper cervical work uh, uniquely often have things like post-concussion syndrome, migraines, headaches, uh, vertigo, dizziness, disequilibrium-type issues, uh, we get a lot of people with Meneers, trigeminal and occipital neuralgia, of course, neck pain, back pain, sometimes seizures, tremors, or motor tics. Um, and very frequently, these people have kind of been through the standard of care, maybe seen a half a dozen other different specialists first before they find their way in here. Um, and this this unique approach, again, with its proximity to the brainstem and the uh, kind of uniquely vulnerable upper cervical spine is, um, is I think, why we see such powerful improvements in that area.
1: So what's a, when people come for their first visits, are there things that you'll do and that you won't do until they're ready? You know, maybe a few visits down the road. Like, what's it like for the first experience?
2: Yeah. So we do a really comprehensive exam, um, we like to look at both kind of the hardware and the software. So we do a really comprehensive digital x-ray analysis to get a kind of pulse on the structure, position, and motion of that, uh, both the upper cervical spine and the full spine. We test um, motor function, find motor skills, grip strength. We do a number of different things to kind of cast a wide net and get a um, a really detailed look on on both the function of uh, the spine and the the Output of the nervous system as well as the structure of the spine so when someone comes in they go through all that we'd of course screen and make sure they are a good candidate for this type of care um, and if they do look like they're a good eligible candidate uh, they would receive their first adjustment almost always going to be an atlas adjustment in this practice uh, for that first one and um, kind of then we'll post x-ray and see how what types of changes we've made and measure Uh, changes in function and then kind of progresses necessary it really depends on the state of the person coming in we get people that are you know coming in for wellness and then you know we just got a call about someone who's been in the coma since october after being thrown off a horse so it's really case by case but um generally speaking i i always say the atlas is the alligator closest to your boat so we almost always start there so um
1: do you use x-rays first when someone comes in or do you use them after each visit? Um, You know, how are they strategically used to help people?
2: Yeah. So I would need to take x-rays before doing any adjusting in that area. Um, That's what's really going to guide our adjusting is those, those uh, digital x-rays. And then we use an instrument to uh, deliver the adjustment. There are other upper cervical specialties that, Uh, Do manual adjustments by hand, um, but a number of the kind of more modern upper cervical specialties will use an instrument.
1: But after the the first visit, you know, I come, I get x-rayed, I get adjusted, then maybe do a post x-ray. How often do patients come back? You know, what kind of frequency? I know it depends on the person, but on average, you know, what happens then?
2: Yeah. And and again, this is going to be a little different in every clinic you go to, but in ours, we typically see people no more than once a week. Um, if we see them more than once a week, there's probably something going pretty wrong with them. But that's kind of the uh, the average patient certainly is coming in about that frequently. And we see people for about three months before we do a re-exam. And at that re-exam, we'd be retesting everything we tested on the front end to get a, a kind of updated look at structurally what types of changes we've made, physiologically, what type of functional improvements we've made. Um, Of course, subjectively checking in with the patient and seeing how things have have improved since starting care. And then
1: after um, three months, is it typical that, I mean, what kind of uh, changes would you see in someone physically after three months of working on them?
2: Yeah, well, it's really fun. We're actually collecting a lot of data on that now. So um, I forgot to mention before, but we also do cognitive testing, both before people start care and at their re-exams. And really across the board, we're seeing improvements in everything I've mentioned so far. Um, Most all of these statistically significant depending on the condition in question, right? So if someone comes in with somewhat acute back pain, well, I'm not anticipating they're going to show remarkable cognitive improvements improvement. But if someone has had chronic pain or migraines or post-concussion syndrome, uh, then we are measuring uh, pretty awesome improvements in cognitive function, and physiological function, and of course, their subjective changes uh, that they've experienced with care.
1: Has anyone done this in chiropractic? I, I, I mean, I I'm not a chiropractor, but I haven't heard of, you know, scientific papers with these, you know, I don't know if you can even do double-blind studies and things like that, like clinical trials to... To demonstrate changes in cognitive function.
2: Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, so there, there are a number of clinics that collect data on this type of thing. Uh, historically, the profession has not done such a spectacular job in collecting that data and publishing their findings. Um, but that's definitely something that I think a kind of younger cohort of doctors is working to correct. Um, there's some literature out there, but. Uh, by and large, I think we are a pretty under-researched profession, and that's a shame because I think we have a really powerful service to offer people that people typically don't find out about it until they're kind of at the end of their rope um, and then looking outside of the medical model for other solutions. So um, hopefully that's something that, that we will be changing in the near future.
1: So, what again, what have you noticed on average? You, know, you, you may test and say, all right, the person's cognitive functions improved. What do the people say the patient's, you know, anecdotally how can you tell that they're they're also feeling something different
2: yeah so I mean we use a lot of outcome assessment tools so different um, things like an you know, Owestry disability index we use something called the tampa scale of kinesiophobia this is um, basically a self-assessment that lets us know Kind of this patient's relationship with their pain and their activity levels. You know, are they fearful that being active or exercising or moving is going to worsen their problem? Because uh, then we know we have to spend a lot of time kind of re-educating them on the reality of that. So there's plenty of different tools that have been validated in the literature, and we try to kind of cherry pick those that might fit the patient and the condition in question, so that we can kind of track in their own words how they've progressed in uh, in both feel and function. But I
1: mean, in the words of patients, um, you know, in layperson's words, what are they saying is
2: different? Um, oh, sure. I mean, oh, things like sleeping better, um, less brain fog, uh, irritability. And I'm, you know, to hunker down on like post-concussion syndrome. These are ones that come up a lot. Um, their ability to focus, their their mood. I mean, it can show up in all sorts of different ways in their life, too. I mean, we have people that notice their relationships are going better because they're not as anxious or irritable as they were before. So it can be all sorts of different subjective changes. Um, I mean, obviously things like migraines and headaches, well, if someone's getting hospitalized for their migraines and then they undergo care. And then suddenly not only are they having any episodes that bad, but they're not missing work or they're not canceling vacations and stuff, then you can see how it really shows up in people's lives in a big way.
1: Yeah. It's weird. When I've always wondered this, uh you know something will be out of a bone will be subluxated et cetera. you know get adjusted now it's in place in just general living moving around sitting standing et cetera. you know picking things up how does the body keep you aligned versus not aligned you know like when when does it need help to become realigned and why would it stay aligned
2: why wouldn't you either always be out of alignment or always in alignment <laughs> that's another really good question and um You know, it's tough because we have to remember we are subjected to so many unnatural forces in the 21st century. Uh, Meanwhile, we've sort of sacrificed a lot of really healthy stressors that would have kind of shaped our development. So, you know, until... Not so long ago, we weren't traveling much faster than you could travel on horseback. And a and couple hundred thousand years before that, we weren't really on horses, to my knowledge. So you think of the opportunity for things like high-impact collisions that are uniquely available in the last century or so. Um, that's obviously a major stressor. Now, alongside that, things like sitting all day, looking down at your screen all day. So we're doing these things that are damaging our bodies. Um, kind of left and right. And meanwhile, we've really sure people go to the gym and are active and exercise or try to, but a lot of people are sedentary. A lot of people don't do those things. And you used to have to hunt for all your food and now you can get it through the window of your car from a clown, right? So it's, uh, it's kind of this, the, the swapping of healthy stresses and the now insertion of unnatural unhealthy stresses that makes for a particularly vulnerable state of the spine. Now, that said, well, there might be limited mechanisms for the brain or spine to correct these things on its own, um, which is why we go, where we come in. Uh, that's not to say that it wouldn't prefer to be in a more aligned state. In some cases, it's, it can even be a, a matter of metabolism, right? So if you think of if you lose your cervical curve and your head kind of sticks way out in front. Uh, that kind of forward head posture you might sometimes see with like an elderly person. Well, you're not gonna walk around with your head sticking way out in front, moving your whole center of mass uh, forward. You're then gonna compensate by rounding out your lumbar curve to bring the center of mass back. So sometimes the body will make these longer term compensations to try to preserve itself from either burning up too much energy or damaging something else. But in some cases, you kind of borrow from Peter to pay Paul, it's not necessarily always a net positive as much as it is trying to work around the damage that's been done. But once you can restore some normalcy to those issues, the body can often be in a healthier state and function in a healthier state because of it. So it will like I said, might not have the ability to correct that itself, but it certainly has a proclivity to try to hold that as well as it can. And there is a time and repetition component to this. It's not like one adjustment is going to make someone's dreams come true and fix all their, you know, woes. It's going to take time. The healing process takes time. There's going to be a repetition component to it.
1: Yeah. That's that's just what I was going to ask you. So I've, I've noticed myself I'll get adjusted and I'll feel good, you know, for a little while, maybe a week or or something like that. And then you know, my fogginess or something will come back and I'll go get adjusted again and then I'll feel good. So I I call it the adjustment holding. It'll hold for a few days, a week, et cetera. And some people, it seems like they only need to go once a month and theirs holds longer and mine holds less, et cetera. But but why does an adjustment hold at all? And why does it um, undo itself when you need to be adjusted again?
2: Yeah. So it's not perfectly well understood. However, the kind of working hypothesis or or maybe the I should say the analogy to help people conceptualize it would be um if you think of a machine that sort of worn grooves into itself after it's run for two, three decades long, well that machine's going to kind of naturally follow those grooves. And when we have these misalignments that involve soft tissue changes, and sometimes osseous or bone changes, uh, there is a natural tendency to kind of slump back into that position. It's been in for a long time. So we see with, again, enough time and repetition and the uh, kind of removal of these stressors that cause the problem, people do tend to hold for extended periods of time. Um, now things like stress, lifestyle, Um, again, kind of work environment, if you're sitting all day, these things, again, will obviously work against it, but uh, that's why it's, it's a lot, it's about a lot more than just what I'm doing in here, but what is the patient doing the rest of their day? What are they aware of and how well do they understand their condition? You know, especially when you get into the topic of chronic pain, uh, patient education, I think is vitally important. So they understand kind of their relationship with their pain and how to um, modify that to heal better.
1: I guess if you've been slumping in your office chair eight hours a day for years, you get adjusted, it'll help you. But of course, if you keep slumping in that chair, just like you were, your body's going to go back and compensate the way it did. So maybe that's an answer. Why? if Unless you change your day-to-day activity that caused the problem, you know why would it magically uh, be fixed forever?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, it definitely, like we said, it takes work on the patient's part too. Um, exercise, yoga, lifting weights, these things can have a real, really powerful effect in combating um, some of those other life stressors. So, and then you got to think too about things like Wolf's Law. So, uh, Wolf's Law states that essentially bone adapts in accordance with the stresses placed on it. So, these degenerative changes we see over time. Sure. There are some age related degenerative changes, but those are accelerated when we lose normal spinal alignment and those types of things. If, if we catch someone in that stage where they have severe degeneration, well, there might be a lower ceiling on their ability to restore uh, normal function and physiology to, to things. So, um, it's really good. People address it when they're young. Um, there's some, some phrase or quote that says, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So it's one of those things, you know, get on it when it starts bothering you. We, this practice is filled with people in their forties and fifties suffering from, you know, debilitating uh, problems that were kind of longer term consequences of injuries they sustained in their twenties that at the time, maybe they didn't feel were that serious. The pain came and went, Um, But that, you know, and I understand that I don't fault anyone for kind of mistakenly thinking that way. But when it comes to these degenerative changes, uh, secondary to injuries, you really, it's best to get out in front of those and address them on the front end before they do snowball into that type of state.
1: That's interesting. So you see commonly people that have had an injury in their 20s, and then uh, in their 40s and 50s, it starts really manifesting
2: and hurting them. Absolutely all the time. And it's, it's uh, tough because sometimes people come in and say, "Okay, I was in a car accident, you know, earlier this year, and this all this pain started from that." And then you look at their X-ray and you're like, "Well, no, turns out you probably had a pretty severe trauma 20, 25 years ago." And then they start thinking, like, "Oh, yeah, you know what I did, and and I I felt okay, so I didn't do anything about it then." And sure enough, that catches up with them down the road. And I think part of that is, you know, in, in traditional medicine we sometimes mistakenly think that if there's not a symptom, there's not a problem, but that's a little flawed, right? Because the first symptom of heart disease is usually a heart attack and 50% of heart attacks or first heart attacks are fatal. So realistically, that person had a problem for 20, 30 years before they had that first symptom show up.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think happens in someone that, you know, is in their twenties and gets an injury? They're just, I guess most of their body is pretty strong, so they're able to compensate without really noticing. And then maybe as they get older, they have more and more uh, compensations, which eventually pile up and it cause them to now and not feel well.
2: Yeah. You know, and it, again, this is, it's, it's tough. This is debated. There are a lot of different um, kind of theories on why some of these things are, but uh, we're certainly resilient <clears throat> when we're young. And while we know there are, um, acute injuries that take place some of those the symptomatically will resolve well they've that injury might have catalyzed things to start moving in a bad direction so down the road that that newer injury might be the straw that broke the camel's back but um, it's it can be kind of tough to say you know and, and a lot of times we're not even necessarily talking about pain a lot of people like I said they come in here with neurological conditions so whether or not they have pain from some injury or Pain from degeneration, which is not always a part of degeneration, uh, we know that they are compromising kind of the integrity and function of the nervous system in a series of different ways. So sometimes what might have started as a mechanical asymptomatic issue down the road will show up as a neurological, very symptomatic issue. But it has kind of its origins in uh, both the detrimental effects of that that. Injury fit both the physical trauma and the associated neurological changes we see.
1: Okay. And um, when people come to your office, do you tend to inherit them from other chiropractors? And if, you know, like what's a, um, a new patient like versus one that's come from another chiropractor? And, you know, what does that tell you about what you guys do differently from other offices, let's
2: say? yeah we we do get a lot of referrals from other chiropractors um We get a lot of referrals from medical doctors and then we get patients like I said who've kind of been through the medical gamut and start doing their own research and and you know find people that have had great success with upper cervical so it it's nice in a lot of ways because especially if they come from the medical community because the medical community is going to rule out all the really scary, nefarious stuff that would not be my wheelhouse so if they almost always, if they've been through all of that and had somewhat lackluster outcomes, when they do come here, this is very frequently a great fit for them because we're looking at the one thing that nobody else is quite screening with this level of detail and and, um, specificity and and certainly not addressing with this level of precision. So as far as if they visited other chiropractors, um, you know, and that can be a case-by-case type of thing. There are chiropractors that, you know might function in a really agreeable, objective, kind of rooted in an objective, measurable analysis type of way, and they just needed someone to to focus on this one area that we specialize in, Um, or sometimes they might not really commit themselves to the most objective criteria to guide what they're doing. And so there might just naturally be a lower ceiling because they don't have quite the vision or window to address things that um, I think you do or you are granted when you are a little more specific in the analysis.
1: Okay. Well, very good. What, what areas do you uh, serve in, De- in Denver? Like how far away uh, do people come from?
2: Uh, you know, we actually have, we've rec- collected, uh, uh, data on this too. We have about 20% of our patients are out of state patients. So a lot of people travel in for care here. Um, and even those around town, I mean, we get people to drive down from the mountains. We have people from East Colorado. So we cast a pretty wide net when it comes to people coming in, um, We even had a guy fly up from um, Puerto Rico last year for care. So uh, part of that's because there are not too many upper cervical specialists in the area. And I think part of that is because we're doing pretty good work here. And so our patients are spreading the word for us.
1: Well, that's excellent. So, Ty, what's the best way for people to get in touch if they're in the area or they want to come to you and find you?
2: Yeah. Um, so you know, going on our website, DenverUppercervical.com, um, giving us a call. I'm I'm usually fairly available if people, you know, especially if they're out of state patients, I like to do a little phone consult before they book a trip. Um, but there's information on there. Uh they can always reach out, check in, see if uh whatever they're suffering from is something that we tend to help with. Um, read our reviews. People, our patients speak pretty highly of us and um we're on a mission to have the happiest, healthiest, most well-informed patients in the country, so we're fiercely committed to making sure our patients understand their condition, their health, and, and uh, their relationship with it.
1: You should get a license plate for your car that says Upper C. It'll be pretty cool to identify <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be
2: great. Yeah, I'll check into that. Well, very good. Well,
1: Ty, thanks for coming on the podcast. I learned some uh, really interesting, useful stuff about chiropractic, so it was good. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me, Richard.